everybody welcome to the 365th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage here uh hope everyone had a good christmas and new year's um it, it was a uh fine christmas for me and then i played video games all new year's so you know normal no, normal vacation for me how was your vacation or not vacation but holiday I, I did take a lot of PTO. I still am on PT. I've got a couple more days left, including today, which is, uh, I think, a smart move. Like, never go back to work the day after New Year's. Like, if you have the PTO, take it because I feel like you always get the folks that are like, oh, it's a new year. I'm going to be super ambitious. And they're going to send a ton of emails. I don't need that energy coming into a new year. Let's take our time. We just came off of a, a holiday season. You know, let's work our way back into the flow of things. Let's just not start running five miles right off the bat. Let's just maybe do one or two laps around the track. Uh, <laughs> but it has been a a nice holiday so far. I have had a cold probably for the past week, and it's been bugging me. Mm. Um, not too much. There's like different symptoms every day. I've taken my COVID test. It's not COVID. Olga doesn't have it. Uh, the baby got a little bit of a runny nose, so I'm the one that got hit the hardest, and I will gladly uh, take that uh, in, in, in as opposed to the, the rest of the family getting yeah. it. But, um, Christmas was great. I'm wearing my uh, Terry Porter champion jersey that Olga got me, drinking That's out dope. of my Terry Porter Dairy Queen 91-92 mug that my mother-in-law got me. Um, got a lot of good blazer stuff. Uh, New Year's was great. In bed by eleven, and uh, what's that, bud? I got a panda for my aunt and uncle, and then I got vases that have pandas on them. So it was a very panda and Chinese forward Christmas for me. Yeah. Um, Olga made incredible gingerbread pancakes. Um, bread pudding was on point, so the food was fantastic. Um, still eating nachos from the leftover enchilada filling, which tray full of nachos is one of the greatest foods of all time, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's it's been solid. Um, it, the Blazers have been a little uh, bit of a, a, of a grab bag. You know, uh, Forrest Gump used to say life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I think that the Portland Trailblazers are kind of the same thing. You go up and down the schedule, and there's games you expect them to win. They surely don't do that, but then they pull off, you know, uh, they uh, rabbit out of their hat twice against Phoenix and Sacramento. But it has been a bit since we last recorded, obviously, due to the holiday. But let's just recap what has happened. Uh, they did beat the Suns back on the 19th, 109 to 104. Uh, and there's one of the games where they, they dropped. Simons goes nuclear in the fourth quarter against the Wizards. Kuzma tries to give the Blazers the game, but Jeremy Grant says, no, thank you. And the Wizards escape. Was it more Chauncey uh, Billups putting Jeremy in that spot to say no, thank you? Or was it? No, that's Jeremy saying it's Jeremy time. <laughs> uh, the Blazers lose 118 to 117. They play the Warriors again for the third time, and it seems like as many nights, but... Fall again to the Warriors, 126 to 106. Come back home the day after Christmas. Get it, 
maybe one of the best ones of the year against a really good Kings team, uh, 130 to 113. Might also have been Scoot Henderson's finest outing as Mm -hmm. well. And then they split with the San Antonio Spurs, losing the game in which Victor Mbanyama played on Thursday, 118 to 105, which got ugly in a hurry, but they bounced back beating the Spurs uh, on Friday, 134-128, and then an ugly performance after a promising start on New Year's Day in the Valley of the Sun, losing to the struggling Suns, uh, 109-88, to in a game that was really over after Phoenix closed uh, the gap in the second quarter. Portland, for the year, stands at 9-23 and on the season. They are the second-worst team in the Western Conference and fifth-worst overall in the NBA. And... If you're one of those who takes a look at the tankathon standings, it's probably that's probably going to be as high as the thick and rise, maybe fourth, depending on what the Charlotte Hornets are doing. But you're not catching uh, Washington, you're not catching San Antonio, and you're definitely not catching Detroit. Uh, and to be honest, we've done preliminary uh, research on this draft. It doesn't really matter. So if the Blazers string three wins in a row, good for them because you definitely do not want to be the Detroit Pistons who lost uh, a major league record across all sports they tied the major league uh professional sports record with 28 losses before finally getting a victory over the raptors um so we have a lot to talk about uh we'll probably just go over the highs uh that we saw because there's just way too many games to dive into but sage from the past week and a half what really stood out to you that there is a quarter in which the blazers play where everything seemingly goes wrong and how the Blazers react to that is going to be the result of wins the and losses. Because, like, whether it be the Suns actually playing defense on us and then us not being able to score or us just being absolutely bricking every shot that we have, it's almost like there's one quarter where we get outscored by 15 to 18 points and then we either fight like cats and dogs to make it a game or we just take the L. Get all of these awful quarters out now. Like let's learn how to, you know, call a timeout if it's an 8-0 run instead of it being like a 14 to 4 run. Like let's just get all of this stuff out now, make it a learning experience, make it something that these young guys can build off of. But when games really matter, we need to be smarter on how to stop these other teams' runs, whether it be actually playing defense or getting easy baskets or something, because it's been a habit this year where it's just one quarter that looks so much different than the other three quarters. And it's going to be the difference between us winning games and losing games. And this draft class isn't good enough for us to full on tank. So getting wins is all right. So yeah, that one, that one quarter has just been a brutal watching experience, whether it be the other team, just finally treating us like we're NBA players or us killing ourselves. It, it, that one quarter of games pretty rough. And a lot of the times it's that first quarter, <clears throat> especially at home. Uh, I was watching the Phoenix broadcast of the the game in Portland. So it wasn't the most recent Phoenix game, but they mentioned that Portland at the time was the lowest scoring first quarter team. And if you go back to two of the most you know, glaring losses of the past week, you look at that Washington game uh, where the Wizards came in with four victories. They jumped on us by nine points at the end of the first quarter, 33 to 24, really setting the tone. 
And for an even more you know egregious example, uh, the San Antonio Spurs jumped all over us, uh, 38-14. I think they went on like a 24-2 run um, right off the bat. And you can almost tell when the Blazers are playing, like if they come out strong in the fourth first quarter, it's probably going to be a hotly contested game. But if they fall behind, like it's there's just no chance that they, they don't have the one. They don't have the offensive firepower to make up for their lack of firepower defensively, right? Like they're they're just too weak defensively. Um, we'll get to Scoot because that's my my high point. But uh, to continue on with what you talked about, I think a lot of it has to do with Portland's inability to rebound the ball. Like if if we're especially with DA out. And I think with with D.A. and Jeremy Grant, like that's just a horrible front court pairing. Um, You know, I saw Daniel Gafford like just completely destroyed DeAndre on the glass and down the stretch. He was out rebounding three Blazers, you know, to, to get the ball. Jeremy Grant is getting out hustled by he got hustled by Kuzma on, on a key putback rebound late in that fourth quarter. Um those two, I just think, don't make for a good pairing on both sides of of the ball. But really, just rebounding really stood out to me. You look at that that middle game uh, against the Warriors. Pajemski, like rookie six two guard, had ten rebounds. He out rebounded our entire starting front court. Um, Looney was doing work against DeAndre on, on the glass um, pretty much all night, and it's. It's kind of like a, a 184 for Aiton, who was leading the NBA through the first two or three weeks on, on the boards. And this is our first year with DeAndre, so I don't really have a sample size to go back from and say, you know, this is the trend or the or the trajectory of how he pretends to perform. But if you just kind of start to put the pieces of the puzzle together, he is a bit of a player that from experience watching him on the outside in Phoenix, that when things are rolling, he's fine. But maybe if, you know, think tough times come, he's probably not going to be one that is going to give you that same output as he would when uh, maybe earlier in the season, when things are fresh, he gets his brand new start. Um, He's also been dinged up. Um, But really Portland needs to add a rebounder to this core moving forward. Again, you don't have to figure it out this year, but rebounding the basketball is I think just an absolute staple of, of any good team, right? You want to give yourself second chance opportunities but more importantly, with offenses being at their peak in the modern NBA, you have to limit your opposition to one shot at the basket. You can't continue to give up uh, multiple attempts because shooters are too good. Passers are too you know, patient and slashers can jump higher than they've ever been able to jump before. And so, more possessions for them to score. Yeah, you need to limit possessions to win games. And Portland just had such a hard time um rebounding the ball. So I, I think rebounding has a lot to do with it. And when you can't, you know, get out of your own way, you're going to give up multiple possessions. You're going to start to fall behind and you're not going to have, you know, if Anthony's not playing, who, who's going to be that guy that can just score off the dribble and kind of keep you afloat. It's, I mean, it's kind of expected. So it's not like too surprising, but does, I, I does our defense with the aggression of switching put us at a humongous disadvantage with rebounding because if let's just say our center has to defend the pick and roll and then flare out to give the guy enough time to recover, it leaves our basket really, really open. And I get that DA has the footwork to do that on a, uh, not occasion, but 
quite frequently, but it puts us at a humongous disadvantage if Jeremy and, and uh, Tumania are, are three and four, whatever way you want to describe it. It puts a lot of pressure on them, and they're not the best rebounders in the world. They're, one can be aggressive and try and get rebounds, but they don't really get it. And then Jeremy tries to avoid it as much as possible. With that said, wouldn't it be better if we put did more of a drop coverage so DA could actually help rebounding when teams try and take them away? And do you think the defense affects our rebounding with the aggression? Well, yeah, I mean, you play aggressive and Portland is one of the top teams that I think they are the top team at forcing turnovers, which has been a complete 180 under Terry Stotts and something that we had been talking about. But with playing aggressive, there are pros and cons, mm-hmm. and the con is is rebounding, but it is also, if you play against a team that passes and cuts, like the Warriors, there's a reason they just slice and dice us up, because they just take the back door, it's mm-hmm. there, they they punish you for over-pursuing, and they, they have a team full of smart basketball players. Mm-hmm. Again, if you play drop coverage against a team like the Warriors, you're, uh, you're giving their shooters yeah. wide-open shots at the rim, so I don't think there is a perfect answer i would just like to see a little bit more variety and i would like to see a little bit more um you know adaptation like okay steph's out of the game let's try some drop coverage or Mm -hmm. steph's in the game no we have to take away that at all costs and make others beat us you know maybe you can be a little more aggressive um in in that aspect and i just don't think one i don't think we have the personnel to pull that off but I also don't know if we have the in-game adjustments from the coaching staff to also pull it off. And, and again, I don't think we have the the best coaching staff, but I will also admit that we have a lot of new faces and there's been so many injuries that it's been really hard to play connected and with a lot of continuity. And defense, you you have to be together for a while to play connected defense. You have to trust that the yeah. players can have their rotation you it just you have to think two or three steps ahead and everyone has to be that so you have to have a hive mind on defense and you can't have a hive mind when DA's in for two games then he's out for three ants still ants still out tumani's been in and out of the lineup and you've got changes at the point guard uh scoots now playing it was malcolm missed some time like shane's been out like there's everyone has been shane's out. obviously on a minutes restriction as well yeah so it's it's really difficult and that's <clears throat> why I would like to see some change just because like this is a developmental season and that's exactly what a developmental season should be is to see okay you get a certain amount of sample size in an 82 game season try different things see what works and then take that put it in your filing cabinet and, and you know save for for next season and continue to add to that filing cabinet and so that's that's why I'm I'm interested in the season I don't really you know if you're going to you're going to get blown out you're going to have great wins like they did against Phoenix and Sacramento um, but you have to you have to find long term pieces like the goal for this year is develop your young players, see what you have and see who else can be a long term piece. Like, I don't necessarily think the trade deadline is your uh, end all be all like going to solve all of your problems. But I do think in, in the offseason, you need to start to think like Jeremy and D.A., you have to pick one or the other because that is a pairing that long term is not going to work. Neither. They're, they're both. They're, they're too finesse. Neither, I mean, you're just you're not getting enough rebounding out of either of them. You know, DeAndre grabs rebounds just because he's 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 athletic and he's tall and he's one of the the bigger players on the court. So he's going to get his, his allotment of rebounds that way. Jeremy is not a, a heat seeking you know rebounder. Like he's not he's not like 
searching for it and he'll get it if it comes into his lap, but he's, he's going to get beat for boards. We saw that in, in the wizards game, but I, I do think that's something that they can say, okay, we've seen enough of that. Like how can, who is that piece? Who who would be more movable in your opinion, Jeremy or DA? I think Jeremy's got great value right now. I mean, if you're looking for a player to kind of put you over the top, if you already have a solid rebounder at the three and the five, you know, Jeremy, one thing I've noticed with with Scoot taking more of the usage away from from Amphrey in terms of a ball handling, initiating the offense perspective is Jeremy's ISO time has gone down mm-hmm. and you look at him and Scoot is finding him for these these open catch and shoot threes. Uh, one of the announcers even made a point like Jeremy or was on the radio like Jeremy's like pointing at Scoot after hitting threes like, thank you. You knew I was cooking. You kept going to me. And Jeremy's one of the best catch and shoot, mm. not even big man shooters in the league. He doesn't even need to dip. Like he's a quick release. I mean, I would be salivating if I was a contending team and I needed a, a swing forward who was basically a 50% shooter on, on catch and shoot threes. Who's going to give you solid defense. Like he's not going to bring your defense down. Um, oh, he's, he's going to bring yours up. I mean, like I was thinking, he's going to be a versatile defender. He's locked into his contract. He's, he doesn't cause any problems. Um, he fits into like whether you think he's a number one or a number three option doesn't matter. He's able to play either role. Like he, it doesn't seem like it affects his his attitude or his his, his effort. And you know, I, I think his value is great right now. I mean, Da, uh, I think his value is still pretty low. I think there's a reason we were able to get him for use of Nurkic. He hasn't really had a prove it year. I mean, if you look statistically, he's had a down year, and I, I still don't think the Blazers have figured out how to fully unlock him. And I think that's something that. Maybe they should take some time and invest in and see if there is something there to unlock. But Jeremy at 29 going on 30, um, I, I think he could really do a contender uh, solid. And even I would say, you know, s- swing the pendulum. Like if one of those top teams gets him, that could be the difference. Uh, because, you know, we saw what, when he went to Denver, mm-hmm. Denver, Denver Nuggets made the Western Conference finals that, that, that year. As soon as they, as they got him, that was, that was one of the missing pieces. And, Denver obviously lost him, but replaced him with a a similar caliber player in an Aaron Gordon that fit their system. And that was what Denver needed. So, you know, are these other teams out there looking? Um, I think he could really do them um, a huge service. And I think like with, with DA, obviously the draft class sucks, but the bigs in this draft class are quite interesting. So we need to figure out, is he worth it or is it time to reinvest in the center market? Like this is a big year for him. And when I, when I asked that question, I was like, damn, we could find a DA replacement potentially in this draft. There's plenty of like starting caliber centers that weren't there last year. Like last year's center class sucked this year's center class is pretty good. So it really is important for DA to get healthy and show that, he has the potential of being one of those elite bigs because if he's not, doesn't have that potential, let's go on the scrap heap and find a Mises. Let's find a Mises or something like that because... I would argue Portland already has maybe a better option right now in, in Dwaparif. Like, they play... I feel like they play better team basketball. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, just having the the the, sh- the potential shooting factor of Wap. The potential shooting and screens. factor. Uh, and the screen setting. Like, yeah. in... Again, he's not the rebounder that that Aiton is, but I don't think Aiton is as good of a rebounder as he could be either. But I think you can get away with it when 
when you when you, the strength of your team is at the guard position and your center can't set good screens, that negates so much of mm. your talent at guard. And, and Aiton, it makes it so much harder for our guards to get off too. Yes, Reith is just uh, in a modern NBA, he's the bigger threat because one for whatever reason we have not been able to unlock the rim running Aiton, but we have been able to unlock the pick and pop Reith, and it really spaces the floor. Uh, and I don't I don't think it's a coincidence that Scoot Henderson tends to have his best games when when Reith is is out there starting alongside of him. I think Dwap is just such a better like he fits in with what you're doing with every team. Every team, every team, use, every team could use Dwap Reith. DA has a much higher ceiling, but we have to construct a team for around him to utilize him to be his best. And right now it's just fuck, man. We have so many non-shooters on the court. So rim running Aiton just doesn't exist because they, they they'll know to tag him and play defense on that lob. Wop, he he does what we needed. Like how many years in a row have we said we need a popping big? Reith is a popping big that can stretch the floor. Like it, it's both of them have absolute flaws, but right now I think Dwop is helping us, but. I, both of them need to be on the floor for us to make a decision. And especially with a draft class that is basically highlighted by big, big good bigs is it's time to, to make, to not make decisions, but at least have thought processes for the, uh, the future. I think the biggest thing that I've noticed over these past two weeks has been the improvement, the improvement in, in Scoot Henderson. Um, and it's, it's interesting because I, I think a lot of fans, and I think a lot of people in general fall subject to groupthink. There's a narrative out there that, that he's a bust. And all of a sudden you look at a box score and you see a, a subpar performance. Like, yeah, like that, that guy's done. Like how? Like there's just so much instant gratification, mm-hmm. like the need for it, that you don't sit back there and logically think this is a 19 year old rookie point guard playing the toughest position to come into in the NBA not only just finally uh, eclipse the 20 game career mark and already these labels are thrown out there in this, this kind of knee jerk shock jock type of media setting that, that we're in. And, you know, I think we all fall subject to group. Think we also fall subject to the negative, right? You could go like your boss could send you an email and said, I'd like to meet with you. Uh, it's probably, you know, it's probably going to be pretty good news, you know, whatever. 99% of it could be like, oh, I'm going to get a raise. The 1% could be like, you're going to get fired. And your brain is going to marinate on oh, that yeah. 1%. And it's just going to fester. And that's all you can think about. You kind of have to just take a step, take a step back, breathe, and just trust your gut. And when it comes to basketball, watch the tape. Like, I saw so many people talk about Scoot after that Wizards game. And, yeah, the box score wasn't pretty. But I watched Blazer Biggs botching three bunnies from Scoot in the first half against Washington alone. You go to the second half, Simons misses a wide open catch and shoot three that Scoot uh, spoon fed to him. He also had a pocket pass to DA that led to free throws. The box score says he had two assists, but if you look at the real time, it's closer than seven. Seven sounds a lot better. Seven sounds a lot better than two. So don't just watch the box score, watch the tape, look at how he's doing. What, what are the mistakes? Are the mistakes correctable? Like, if he's not able to get by his man, that, that's that's a bad sign. But if, does he just make like a, a bad pass? Like, okay, that's probably correctable. He's stepping on the line. Okay, that's correctable. Like, 
watch his shot selection, which I think has gotten incredibly uh, more efficient. Like, I think he was early on shooting threes to kind of prove a point that I'm not Mm. afraid to shoot threes. And they weren't really coming within his comfort level. And now you can see he's starting to get a sweat, a rhythm. He's taking his time. And when I watch him, I just see a a guard who's starting to see the game slow down for him. There's just a a complete command of the game. Um, You look at the plays against the San Antonio Spurs. He had an an unreal wraparound pass to Seibel in the paint. He had a, and this was my favorite play of the year for him. Uh, He drives into the teeth of the defense. He backs it up. He waits, he surveys, never losing the the tempo of the ball, the rhythm. Tumani makes a great backdoor cut, and he just, on a rope, one hand, look away from 30 feet. You just dot it to him. And that's the type of stuff that you envision when you think of a pass-first point guard and what we thought we were getting out of, of Scoot Henderson on offense. When he's looking to score the ball, the speed has been a problem for the defense. Uh, you look at that Kings game where they win, there's a one-on-three fast break. Right. Most players, you back that out. But with the Russell Westbrooks and the Scoot Hendersons, he was it was a legit advantage for him. He was able mm. to Euro step mm. through the defense, gets the and one kind of flexes the shoulders on uh, the Sacramento defense. And, you know, for the 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 last 10 games, 15.6 points, five and a half assists, 2.9 rebounds, shooting 38.9 from three, 39.3 from the field. Uh, only 3.2 turnovers in, you know, 29 and a half minutes per night. Like, I'd love to see the rebounds come up a bit, and I'd love to see the field goal percentage come up a bit. But you're telling me he's going to give you, like, basically 16 and 6 on 39% shooting from three? Yeah, that, in that limited, my rookie in less than starters minutes, too. That exceeds my what I what I thought he would be as, as a rookie. So I think this is just another case of let a player get their footing, let him get his his rhythm and his confidence because again, if you watched the tape, especially in summer league, like he was doing the things, keeping the defender on his hip, man- manipulating the defense, getting into that floater, getting into his mid range, like that's his comfort level, not popping off from three. And then you start to see him, you know, get his get his shake. He shakes Fox out of his shoe. Uh, he has Keon Ellis on the baseline and he wraps around and just kind of does a double pump um, under the rim layup in traffic starting to attack the the basket with some ferocity. You can see the confidence is rising. And, you know, I really think players like Simons and Grant have benefited with him in in the game more often. We can utilize Anthony, who is one of the best uh, off-the-ball shooters in the game. Same with JG. I'm excited to see how how Wop, Dwap Reith, uh, and I'm excited to see how how Shaden gets incorporated into this as well because we've been kind of missing those uh, alley-oop attempts for, for him. So I think this is, I think we're getting to a point pretty soon where he's going to start to take over that starting role again. And um, like that, when they beat the Spurs and the Kings, like those are my favorite type of victories, right? You know, when, the, when, when Shaden went off against the Cavs and he went off against the Pistons, like those are the games where I get really excited. When you see your two young players, you know, you could throw Simons in there. When those guys have big nights and you get wins, those are the wins that kind of give, they, they keep you warm, right? Mm. When the vets kind of carry you, it's like, okay, like that, that's, that's cool. cool. But like mm-hmm. what this this is a young, young team. Like we need to see what the young guys got. I've been just so impressed with his his overall body of work. Um Look, so Dustin, you and I have done scouting of G League Ignite players for four years, right? 
So the one thing that I don't think people realize about the G League Ignite, it's like the most chaotic AAU type of basketball. It's like an all-star game every night. Exactly. So he played two years in an environment that was complete and utter chaos. You know, more possession. Like the G League Ignite plays at a very high pace because the NBA plays at a high pace. So they want to show off the player's skill sets. Scoot Henderson, in the two years playing in that system, played some very chaotic minutes. You know, everybody has high stats playing in the G League Ignite because the extra possessions and the, the pace of play. The first few games that Scoot Henderson played, it looked like he was back on G League Ignite. Now, He's gotten used to playing in a real scheme because, you know, two years of his 19 year uh, lifespan was playing at a chaotic hell for a basketball team. Now he's playing like a actual basketball player with pace and not doing those lazy ass passes that he did earlier in the year. So I think like the context of him playing in the ignite was a huge reason for those early struggles because shit like going 100 miles an hour straight at the hoop worked in G League Ignite because they spaced the floor, everybody was attacking, you know, that's why trying to scout these G League Ignite players is tough because there's extra possessions and extra usage and all that other stuff. So going into playing of the Blazer, now he's realizing what it takes to be, play in a normal scheme where, you know, the, we're trying to run sets and actions, poor sets and actions, but we're running some something other than roll out the ball and make something work. So I think that, like, the context of G League Ignite definitely had had an effect on all of these players outside of, like, Dyson Daniels, who just, you know, he, he plays good defense. That's it. Like, but all of these offensive players got used to, you know, trying to make things happen themselves. And this was the, the their strategy from day one, second one, until now. Like, e- even Ron Hollins and Matas, a shitload of usage. But you have to look through all that stuff to see what the player is. And now that Scoots got past the Ignite version of himself and is playing real ball, I mean, he's shining. Like, he's I mean, making a really good day span. He's had three double-doubles. Two of them being 20 plus point, 10, 10, 10 assist games. The only rookie to do that. Like that, that's, I don't think people understand how difficult it is to get 10 assists in a single game, especially in all three of those games came off the bench to mm-hmm. add on to the fact 19 years old. Like I'm going to keep hammering that home. He's 19. What were you doing when you were 19 Sage? <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous that he's, he's out there against the, the best competition in the game, going up against the damn near an all-star point guard every single night. The defenses are, are longer, bigger, stronger, faster, quicker than they've ever been. And he's getting into a groove. And that's kind mm-hmm. of why we've been just like preaching patience with this entire team, especially with 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 the young players, um, because it, it it takes time. This is not Brandon Roy. This is not Damian Lillard. These 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 polished, you know, collegiates coming in and having their way with with the NBA. This is Brandon Roy and Damian Lillard as freshmen coming in and and, and playing against the the best of the best. So um, he's been giving me a reason to to tune in every night. Um, I've just been I, I I'm thrilled. Mm-hmm. You know, you get this player and you you want them to thrive, and you're hoping you find a cornerstone. And every young team needs a floor general that's going to get everyone else involved. It just makes roster construction. 
so much easier when you know that this player is going to make everyone around them better. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of like we're doing a traditional thing where our four general six, two, six, three, and where a lot of people are looking for jumbo creators. But when you have that, when you have that guy that can make decision, it makes building that offense and defense so much easier. It doesn't really matter that he's four inches smaller than, you know, like, Luca or Jason Tatum, you you have it. I mean, we have two guys that legitimately could be superstars in this league if they have been are developed right and all that. Like we're in such a good place. It's just you know they have to rep out some of these issues that they have. Like Shaden needs to take care of the ball more and learn how to you know use other ways of scoring. Scoot has to work through the ignite two years of uh, development. Like it, 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 this year's just going to be a lot, a lot of the learning experiences. What do you want to see into the new year when it comes to the Blazers? Scoot having more usage, and then Malcolm Brogdon probably getting traded. Yeah, I, I want to see. Again. I'm not ready to say nothing's going to work or it is going to work. I want to use this season and possibly next. I want to see as much of Scoot, Shaden, and Ant on the floor at the same time. Mm. And I want to see the highs. I want to see the lows. I want to see where the deficiencies are. I want to see where they're efficient. Uh, I want to see if it can work. Um, We've only seen really one glimpse of that, and that was that Clippers game uh, in Los Angeles the second time around. But when I saw the three-guard lineup uh, closing out the Phoenix Suns in Portland, uh, both guards, Brogdon and Scoot, had consistent wide-open shots from, from both the short corners. Uh, you really only have to look you know, just a, a few hundred miles down I-5 to the Bay. Steve Kerr's making it work with, with Chris Paul, Blake mm. Thompson, Steph Curry, Brandon Pajemski. Like, they play small, but they, they move the ball, they pass, and they cut. Like, and they're not getting killed too bad de- defensively because they've got a, a system set in there. But it... I really want to give that the legit chance to see if it can work before we say, you know, X player probably needs to not be part of this. Like it's mm. freeze company, right? Mm. I really want to see if it, if it can work because each of those three players gives Portland something different that they offer something different that they excel at dynamically. And, and they're all so young and they've played so little together and Portland's invested so much into all of them already it would be a disservice just to say nah we're not even going to give give it a shot like so too long uh, along with your point like malcolm's been an amazing vet if you've watched the trail like shaden calls him like his the best vet that that he's had this season um seems like he's you know really bought in um to his role but on the other hand, like you, you do need to open up those minutes. You have to see what you have. Like you, like is is what you see now. Like is is are those three your building blocks for the foundation for the future, or are just two of them, or just one of them? Like you really need to know. Like and this is what we talk about when we say it's, it's a developmental season. Like you, you just have to experiment and you have to see what you got. You got to see if the ingredients are going to make a tasty dish. And I mean, like the four and the five and, you know, basically it's nothing but open, you know, tryouts for all of these roles. I also significantly disagree with Chauncey Billups saying there's no alphas on this team because I think Scoot Henderson has an alpha personality. And I think Anthony Simons offensively is is an alpha. And uh, I thought 
that was another example of, of a coach not showing accountability after that Washington loss because that was him that gave Jeremy the option to go one-on-one or pass it back to, to Simons. And it should have just been get the ball to Simons. He was cooking the Wizards left and right. At the worst, he was going to get to the free throw line. And instead of owning it up, owning up to it, like for those who follow college football, Mario Cristobal coaches the Miami Hurricanes. They had a game earlier this year. They literally could have just taken a knee and won. But oh, instead, yeah. he got bullheaded and he tried to run the football because he's he's kind of a, a he's a, he's an offensive lineman, right? He's got a little bit of machismo to him, and he wants to be more physical. Did that? Fumble. Georgia Tech went down three plays later, won the game. Took him a little bit, but he finally owned up to that. Chauncey didn't own up to it. He he should have just said that's that's my that's a bad play call. Like I should have drew, drew up something else. But instead, he's taking shots at. I feel like he's just becoming a little bit more defensive when when bad things are happening. Instead of just being like, nope, I messed up this time. Like this one's on me. Like if if I'm a player, like I want a coach that's gonna like take take the fall, like fall on the sword, right? It, he, he, that's, he's that's been kind of a does. coward when it comes, especially to... when you have a young team. Like mm-hmm. take the brunt of the licks from. You know, like the media is going to come at you left and right and, you know, you're going to screw up like he is a first year head coach or a first time head coach. Mm -hmm. You have to just be willing to kind of, you know, you're going to get some body blows in there. That just comes with the territories, 82 games. But you have to be willing, I think, to fall on the sword for your young team. And I think that's uh, was another missed opportunity for him, because I definitely do think like Scoop definitely has alpha personality. And when he gets to that level. I think his his performance will match that personality. And he he may not be the best player on the team when when the time comes, but he will be the leader. Like mm-hmm. make make no mistake about it. Like he he will be the heart and soul of, of that team. And I've seen enough from Anthony to know that that's an alpha score when I see it. Like he was he was he did everything he could to bring Portland back in 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 that game. And uh, Washington couldn't stop him. I, I th- yeah, I, th- I think that I mean even Shaden Sharp has shown alpha traits during when we when we were healthy without scoot like so i guess not fully healthy but when he was the the alpha in that fourth quarter he was taking and making shots that like superstars are comfortable taking not you know role players not super role players but superstars like you know peeking behind a deandre ayton screen hitting the open three swishing nothing but net like that that is an alpha that's an if, alpha move. If I was the if I was Jody Allen and I brought in a new coach, the first thing I would say to them, your your first priority is unlocking Shaden Sharp. It's it's there. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, he tends to defer sometimes when other players are on the court. He does have alpha tendencies, but too many times he he defers and he, he overpasses a bit. He's a little Rashid Wallace in that aspect where he could score it pretty much any time he wanted to, but Rashid was unselfish to a fault, um, especially with so many other good players around him on those um, loaded Blazer teams. And I've seen Shaden just like overpass some good, good shot attempts. So I, it's there, but it has to be kind of extracted out of him. And I don't think Chauncey has Chauncey's done that. Chauncey's not the guy. No. So I have a question that I wanted to tell you, ask you for the, for the longest time now, probably like three or four weeks. It's no secret that the NBA is going to expand. And the, there's a potential of, you know, protecting players from getting swooped up by the Seattle and Vegas team. Let's say that we have eight players to protect. Who are those eight players for the Portland Trailblazers? That's a great question. Uh, the Thank three, you. obviously, you've got 
Simon's Sharp and Scoot. So there's three. I would protect Kamara. Um, great contract, good defender. Um, young. That's four. Mm. Anybody else you would add to that list? I would add Wapri. I would not want again young player contract like. I mean, if this if this uh, draft or if this uh, expansion happened before the draft, I would protect our draft picks. But I think Jeremy Grant, even though I think he's very tradable, even in the future. So I would I would put him in there. Yep. I. That's five. I would do Chris Murray. I still believe in him. Um, I do too. I don't know if he's getting picked up in a draft, though. I think I could. I think I would protect Jabari Walker over Chris Murray. I like him. Um, so we're we're like we're almost at seven or eight right yeah. now. It, it really it really comes down to like, I think you've got like Chris Murray, DeAndre, Ryan Rupert. Like it, it, I don't know enough about Rupert in terms of his behind the scenes. Like, how is he progressing? Like, is the team really stoked on him, or or what? Um, I would definitely let Thibel go. Mm. Malcolm, Malcolm, yeah. I mean, there's there's play. I mean, there's going to be good players. Like, but you just you, unless you know. Well, to be fair, I would trade Malcolm and like if it's yeah. the end of the year, you, yeah. you would move Malcolm and Matisse, uh, but beforehand, but um. Okay, my list. Shaden, Scoot, Anthony, Tumani, Jabari, that's five. Jeremy is six. Uh, Reith is seven. And Repair. Damn. So I think it, mine would be Scoot. Shade and Am- the, the 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 big three, obviously. Yep. Um, I'd probably go Aiton, Jeremy. Wreath is so affordable, so that's six. I guess I do. T- Jabari and I guess Tumani can be the eighth, I guess. But I, know I mean, like, Mar- I know you like Chris Murray. I, I think he's, I don't think he's gonna get taken. He's not, he hasn't shown me enough for him he's to also get a taken. 23 year old first yeah. round pick, right? So, like, I don't think there's this, and that's why I chose repair because you basically got four years uh extra on, on Chris Murray, and then I mean. Depending on what, also I would need to know what our basketball operations thinks of this draft class. Because <laughs> if they think that you know, for instance, Ryan Dunn's so cool, I would I wouldn't put Tumani in in my uh, saved because I think Ryan Dunn's better in every single way. But you know, like you know, since we don't know what basketball ops is thinking, that was probably what I would go. But. I, I think Aiton deserves another few years of deciding what we're going to do with him. I was so, just thinking more like if somebody wants to take that contract. Fair enough. Like, fair enough. 
Yeah. But yeah, that's I was thinking because like you know Vegas, Seattle. Eventually, some other teams are going to go. So that you know, the fantasy draft could potentially happen. All right, let's take a look ahead. The Blazers are in the midst of one of the longest road trips of of the season. Uh, they lost in Phoenix, as as we mentioned, by twenty one on Monday. Uh, they returned back to Portland um, January fourteenth to play the Suns again. But in the mix, they've got two against Dallas. Uh, Brooklyn, New York, OKC, and Minnesota. So just, just a Brooklyn difficult... and New York or Brooklyn, New York? Brooklyn and New York. Okay. And all right, cool. They have, they have a very difficult uh stretch. We're gonna do the next three games. So we've got Dallas on Wednesday, Dallas on Friday, and Brooklyn on Sunday. Um Portland's already played Dallas twice this year, um, losing by 11 on the 16th. And by 13 on the 8th of December, Luca went nuclear in both. Kyrie's questionable now. So Kyrie Irving's questionable. Dog, to me, it doesn't matter. Like Luka Doncic, as I said before, we were previewing these teams, is a type of player we have no answer for. Like we have no answer for Giannis, Jokic, Luka. Like I know many teams don't, but we we really don't. Um, I think my strategy for playing the Mavericks. I think you have to let Luca just go crazy. I don't, you cannot let the Tim Hardaway Jr. You can't let him, yeah. You can't let Dante Exum put up 20 points on mm-hmm. you. Take away Derek Lively. I would actually try and go at Derek Lively early, get him out of the game, like remove one of Luca's weapons, which is the, the pick and roll lob. Like, so at least you take something away from him, make him expand a lot of energy, dribbling the basketball, and maybe you wear him out one of those games. I just I don't think it happens. I also I'm pretty sure Anthony has COVID. Um, mm-hmm. They don't list COVID anymore, but it's usually illness yeah, or non-COVID illness. Mm-hmm. And his has been illness, and he's been out for the past like three games. I don't know when he's coming back. It's kind of a grab bag, so I'm not going to even try and predict who's going to be available that's not already like currently playing. Um, we did see Shaden Sharp return in a limited role, but um, I'm, I'm just excited to see what Scoot can do. <clears throat> Again, this should be a defense that he should kind of eat against. How can he spread the floor? I'd really also like to see uh, Matisse get back into uh, a rhythm from three. He's kind of regressed to the mean. And if you're poor, you think that because of his decent percentage from three, that they're not giving him that wide open runway anymore? Because I think most of his shots are actually contested. Yeah, but I've also seen Matisse like. Sometimes he's wide open and it's a good shot, but other times he kind of takes a quick three. We're like, you're not that guy. You're three. not that guy. Pal, like, yeah. don't. So it's tough to say without having every single three right in front of me. It's something I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye on and anecdotally try try to recall for, for next episode. But if you're trying to move up his value, you really want to see him start to uh, get 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 toasty from from downtown. I think Dallas wins both. This yep. just one of Luca's yep. just a nightmare uh, for for Portland. Uh, but again, I would just say to Monty, do your best and everyone stay home. Yep. Like if he gets 60, that's fine. But like maybe he gets so tired, they don't play him in the second game. Right. Um, he gets 80 points on his first game and then rest the second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Portland plays uh, the the Brooklyn Nets. And, oh, usually, usually I do this. Dallas is 19 and 15, um, just eight and seven at home. Brooklyn is 15 and 18, ninth in the East. Uh, nine and eight at home. They are kind of a a hodgepodge collection group. 
kind of like the Raptors before making the the OG trade. No real direction for for the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, ben Simmons is still out. Lonnie Walker is still out. Um, Dorian Finney-Smith is day to day. But anytime you're in the same gym as Cam Thomas, like that, that's that's the guy you cannot let go crazy um, because he's one of the the best bucket getters in, in the entire league. I mean, Nick Claxton defensively is really, really a fascinating and good defensive player. So, I mean, our our the the rim is not free this game, so we're gonna have to find different ways of. I mean, I hope I hope Reed is available. Like, not yeah, having that, get get Nick out of the the paint. Yeah, not having Reith and Aiton has been just oof, like no offense to to Moses Brown, but like there's there's a significant drop off there. Yeah, um, I mean, I got Brooklyn. Like, I, I think this is going to be a really rough road trip. Portland might get a win somewhere, but it's going to be one of those out of the blue. Nobody's going to see it coming yeah. because the schedule's so tough. They're so banged up. They need Simons to come back and give them a pop. But, you know, as long as they, I think as long as they get one of their bigs back, they're going to be able to keep it close. Um, I hope Shaden's ready to start because that's where I really want, I want to see scoot, more Scoot and Shaden minutes together. Um, but Brooklyn, I'm surprised they're not a better team because they, their roster, they don't have a superstar, but they've got a, a lot of veteran talent. So, um, it's not a team that you can just kind of roll over. Yeah, I, I believe that Cam Johnson was hurt a lot. I mean, they've had a lot of injuries. Ben Simmons, uh, they, they've dealt with uh, Cam Johnson. No, Cam Thomas. Sorry, there's too many cams on that team has been injured. So it, it's kind of like players learning their roles. One person gets injured and then they have to learn a whole new road to, role. But. If we win, it's because we fluke had an offensive firepower game. So, are you predicting a win? No, I don't. But okay. if we You're did one, we off off offline. We said we would split the Spurs. I thought Portland would would catch Phoenix napping on New Year. That didn't happen. Uh, so you're up one in the prediction game, but I'm going to keep taking some shots. I just don't think it's going to be. This is not the week to to point to the. 450 dead center and die no. trying to take your we, swing. We, we need we need Simon's back. Uh we need a full full sharp. We need one of the bigs. Uh yeah, you're trying trap. to bat for a single this week, not trying to crank 450 dead center. No. <laughs> All right, Sage. I think that about wraps this one up. All right. Um, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher, the entire podcast where you can see our beautiful faces is on YouTube in its entirety. We're also available on Instagram and Facebook reels, TikTok as well. So check us out. Um, well, <laughs> we got to talk about these draft picks soon. So we have two of them. So be prepared for some draft talk. Thank you to everybody for listening. Happy New Year to everybody. Stay safe. We're out of here. Peace. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go. Let's go.